change. They loved him or they hated him, but nobody didn't have an opinion about Jesus. You either loved him or you hated him. This is how it is. <laughs> Jesus came. To, he didn't come to bring a neutral opinion to mankind. He came to force the issue. Am I God or am I not? He, he never gives us the option to call him a good man. Ever. They came to him and they said, good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none but God that's good. What was he saying? If I'm not God, then don't call me good. Because I'm either God or I'm not, but I'm not a good man. That's the point. Jesus divides us and he gives us the options. He's liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's, he's one of the three. Those are the only options. He's either a liar and completely out of, his, out of his mind. He says he's God in the flesh where he's full of lies. He's a lunatic that actually thinks he was God in the flesh. He's a madman, crazy dude. Or he's actually who he says he is. Those are the only options that's given to mankind. Jesus refuses to be compared to any and everybody else. Because you know why? He's not comparable. He's not equal with Buddha and Gandhi and Krishna and Allah and all these other nonsensical systems of belief that are fashioned by men and demonic power. He's not interested in that. He will not be equal with no one. He's the one and only. There's one rock star and his name's Jesus. And you can love him or you can hate him, but you will not call him. You will not, not be affected by who he is. That's it. You're the hot or you're cold. But I will not accept you in, any, in, in just any ordinary position. You either have to be in or you have to be out. That's the point. And so what, what happens is, is that we are part of this culture of heaven. And so in order for us to understand the destiny of the Christian, and as Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray, and he was teaching them the secret to his power... They never asked him, hey, Lord, teach us to preach. They never asked, Lord, teach us, you know, all of these other things. They never asked those things of him. They asked him to teach them to pray because they noticed a direct connection between the prayers and the power. And they noticed that Jesus is praying in a non-ordinary way. There's got to be a way that this guy's praying that is completely different than the way we've been praying or the way we've been taught, we've been taught to pray. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray this. And he says, our Father who is in heaven, honored is your name. What's he doing? The first thing he's getting them to understand is their position and their identity. Son and daughter in Christ, not apart from Christ. In Christ, son and daughter is who you are. First thing you do when you pray is you understand who you are. Son and daughter under a father. Right? God is not some abstract being. You are rightfully in a position as a son and daughter under your father. You're honored is your name. Above all things, Lord, the only thing we want is the honor of your name. Everything we do, be, and are is for the honor and glory of your name. And then he says what? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Pray that the king, because your role as a son and daughter is to bring the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven's not broke. Heaven will never be broke. There's no food crisis in heaven, right? There's no relationship crisis in heaven. There's no crisis in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. We are heirs to that world. We are extractors of that world. God has put us in charge of the earth. The heavens, even the highest heavens, belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to men. Who's in charge of the earth? Right? We are. Who, if you really want to get down on this and you really want to understand this from the responsibility level of the church, poverty is our responsibility. I say that, and I always say this. That doesn't mean I have the answers or we have the answers, but poverty is our responsibility. Famine is our responsibility. It's not the responsibility of governments. 
People say, well, if Jesus really cared, he'd do something about it. He has. He died on the cross. He empowered a people with his spirit, and he commissioned them as his body, and he told us to go. Go. Go into all the world and proclaim the, proclaim the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Bring the message and the power of the kingdom into all the world. It's our responsibility. So Africa's problems, uh, the, the problems within the city aren't going to be solved unless the Christian takes up the understanding that this is our job. I know. It's way over our head. That's why we need power in order to do it. Am I making sense? You guys are all gotten real quiet in here. It's like crickets. Yes, crickets, crickets, right? It's our responsibility. It's our people. Your neighbor's not going to come to Christ if you don't invite them. Wishful thinking isn't going to bring your family members into salvation unless you invite them. Invite them where? Invite them to church or actually start sharing your faith with them. If you can't share your faith and you're too chicken to share your faith, at least invite them to church, right? You say, well, I brought them to church. They didn't like it. That's okay. They heard the gospel. They heard about Jesus. That's not your responsibility. So people in our world is going to be changed unless we as a group and as individuals do something about it. It's very important to understand that. So we're part of another culture. We're called to integrate that culture. We're called to create that culture on the earth. And we're called to express that culture upon the earth. Which makes us, which begs the question, what is that culture all about? What is heaven like? So if you're going to create heaven on the earth, you've got to know what heaven is. The Bible gives us a lot of clear, clear, clear understandings of what the culture of heaven is. God's good in heaven. He's good all the time. He's not, he doesn't have a bad day. Jesus is never in a bad mood. He's good all the time. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. In other words, that's who he is. He's good and releases goodness in the earth. Question always comes about with him, where does evil come from? Really? We don't understand sin. We don't understand the fallen angel. We don't understand brokenness of man, that sin has caused this. That's where evil comes from. Understand that? The brokenness in the world is because man has rejected God. Sin has entered the world. Sin has infected the whole system, and nothing works right. It is not Jesus' fault. Jesus comes to bring restoration, and will bring it fully when he comes. So we have to understand what that is. We have to understand that we're in the world, but we're not of it. Jesus prayed that we not be taken out of the world, but that we, but we be left in it. And not only are we left in it, he also makes the statement that we are not of this world, just as he was not of this world. So we're to take the culture of that kingdom. We're to understand that we're not of that world. If the Christian doesn't live and act differently or understand the principles of the kingdom, this is a saying that I put here, out here for you guys, is that you're symbiotically bound to the gospel. When you come into Christ, you enter, you're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Which means to, you will know your life is no longer going to function. The Christian who now receives Jesus and goes back into the world and thinks they can live, any old, live the way that they used to live or be the way that they used to live, it won't work. It constantly malfunctions. Anybody ever tried that? Well, I'm just going to go back and live my own life. You can't go back. You've crossed the great divide. You are now in the great divide. You cannot, that world will never work for you because you're not of it. And Christians always ask, well, then why doesn't my faith work? Because you're not fully giving yourself to the kingdom that you are now a part of. You are bound to the gospel, which means to the degree that you serve it is the degree of the blessing. You understand? To the degree that you yield to it is to the degree of the blessing. It's, it's purposeful to understand. So we're part of that world. We're to understand what that world is like, and we're to operate within that world or from that world. So we're, what, one of the things that that world is, one of the things that his world is, and so, okay, let's talk about realities. This is a reality. 
right? But his world is a greater reality. So in other words, when his world comes into this world, this world will yield. So what should we be doing? Bringing his world into this world in order that this world will yield. Somebody told me the story of Zacchaeus. You guys know Zacchaeus? The story? Little tax collector, short guy. Jesus is walking by. He's standing up in, in, the, in the tree watching Jesus walk by. Jesus sees him, says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus comes down. Zacchaeus is a representation, very powerful, wealthy man, represented a system, and he had achieved his success from the world's system. And when he stood in front of Jesus, the Bible emphasizes that he was short. Well, what's the point? The Bible is relating that when he stood before the kingdom, the system that Zacchaeus represented was inferior to the system of the kingdom. He was less than the kingdom of the king, the system of the kingdom was superior to the kingdom from which Zacchaeus had achieved all of his wealth and success. That's the superior reality. That's the world we're a part of. That's what we draw from. That's who we are. Right? These are concepts. We have to understand how to apply this stuff in very practical ways and what this looks like. One of the ways is that it's grace. What's grace? We're a culture of grace. Here's what we do. We think that grace is a one-time thing. So we teach the Christian, hey, this is what it means. By grace you were saved and that not of yourself. So you get grace one time. Here's a card. There's your grace card. You get out of jail free. You're no longer a prisoner. You're no longer, you know, you're free. You're saved. Off you go. Live in grace. There's your grace. We think it's a one-time experience. Grace is not a one-time experience. It is an impartation to the believer, and it's something that we carry with us the whole time. So we're going to talk about grace. Everybody say this with me. Grace, grace. is power. power. Yeah. It's power. It is the Greek word charis. And everywhere it is where we get the word charity, which means something bestowed upon you that you didn't earn. It's just given to you. But every place in the Bible where the word charis is used, it is always in relationship to power. It's the word grace, and it's always in relationship to power. So let's talk about misunderstandings of grace. That's one misunderstanding, that everybody kind of gets a grace card. By grace you were saved, and that not of yourself. What the Bible is saying is by spiritual power you were saved, and it's not from you. The power that saved you was spiritual power from on high. It doesn't come from you. You didn't get it. It came to you. Boom, you're saved. Wow, that was imparted to you. Here's another one. I love this one. I felt like the Lord totally showed me this. We always use this. Paul prays, right? Paul says, I had a thorn in my side where I was thorned and I was afflicted. And I prayed to the Lord three times that he would take it away from me. And the Lord said, what? My grace is sufficient for you. Oh, we teach that one. Oh, we love that one. We could roll ourselves up in a blanket. And we actually want to say, well, look, God afflicted Paul physically. There's nowhere ever in context that God, Paul, was ever afflicted physically, ever. If you want to know what his thorn was, the Bible tells you what his thorn was. Anything else is just a guess. His thorn was he had Judaizers chasing him from town to town. That was his thorn. So Paul plants a church, gets the church going, and he leaves. And here comes a bunch of religious legalists coming in there to bring the church under slavery and bondage of rules. And Paul's like, every place I go, Lord, these people are infecting the church with false teaching. It's a thorn in my side. Can you take it away? Can you take it away? And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. And here's what we teach people to have grace. His grace is sufficient. Just stand in grace. You have a misunderstanding of grace. He's saying, Karis, okay? My spiritual power is sufficient for anything and everything that you will face. 
In other words, Paul, activate the spiritual power that you have and begin to take authority and exercise authority. The grace that I've given to you is sufficient for the problems that you are facing. He didn't sit there and say, hold your hands and rock back and forth and just accept whatever comes. Because that's what we teach you. Always grace is sufficient. Yep. House is burning down. You know, uh, fields in the rotten in the fields are rotten in the out there. Crops dying in the field. Well, his grace is sufficient. Lord gives, Lord takes away. That's what we teach. That is not what the Bible says. That's the doctrine of men. That is not the doctrine of God. It's charis. It's where we get the word charismata. Charismata means the powerful movement of the spirit. And so grace is rooted in the movement of the spirit. Grace always means power. So Paul, he's telling Paul, you have spiritual power. Stop acting like a baby. And when Paul wrote Galatians, he was a pretty new Christian. And you can see a progression of Paul's theology as he kind of wrote, as he, he kind of came into greater understandings of the spirit. And he's like, wow, I prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said, hey, my grace is sufficient. Wow, that means I have spiritual power. Wow, I should actually begin to operate and demonstrate the spiritual power that he's given me. Same thing to you, Christian. Demonstrate the spiritual power that you have. Stop taking it. You don't have to accept it. The crops dying in your field, that, 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 there's no crops dying in heaven. You are only obligated to accept what heaven asks, what heaven offers. You're obligated to accept nothing else. So if there's no poverty in heaven, there's not going to be no poverty in my life. Who are you going to serve? I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose what you will serve. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor. I'm not too sure about that. Well, hey. You know, off you go. See how your theology works out for you. It's not going to work. I'll tell you right now. And so what it's going to be is like that is what the Lord says. God says, I would, I might, uh, that you, beloved, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. If there's no sickness in heaven, that means I don't have sickness. I didn't say you weren't going to die. I just said you don't have sickness. It's not an issue of faith. It's an issue of understanding what is available to us. And what is available to us is available as we push in for increase. We talked in first service about how spiritual power expands, right? The Bible talks about the spirit being deep water. Anybody ever watch Discovery Channel? You ever see those free divers? You know what I'm talking about? These dudes that just put a snorkel on and a speedo and just dive as deep as they can possibly deep go. They tie ropes and they go down on ropes, right? And then you get the crazy guy who's like, he can't get down there on his own strength, so he ties himself to a sled. And the sled rides him down to the bottom. You know what I'm talking about? You ever see that? And then he unhooks himself and then he swims back. How did he learn to get so deep? You can't go deep, right? I'm good. I'm good for about eight, ten feet. I get down about eight feet and my head starts spinning. I'm like, whoa, I got to get up, you know, come right back up. But if I conditioned myself through exercise of use and practice, my ability to go deeper would increase. You understand that? We dwell in shallow waters as a church. We wade around in a kiddie pool and we think that's the glory. You know, we all got diapers on, little swim rings and little swimmy things, and we're splashing around in the water going, woo, the glory. That's not the glory. You know, hot dogs and cotton candy is not the glory. There's deeper places that we can go and become and be. But you have to condition yourself to go there. And that comes through hunger. That comes through obedience. A lot of times Christians don't want to obey. They think everything in the kingdom shazam. Boom, it's just going to happen. It's not just going to happen. It's a partnership. If you don't partner with the kingdom, that's how it's designed, is a partnership. We think Jesus shows up with the Reader's Digest check. It doesn't happen. 
You have to partner. The process of, of prosperity, the pro, you know, it's the same thing. We talked about healing in the first service too. And we talk about how we trust in doctors. Good God. We go to doctors and we think there's not a problem. But for, God forbid that we lay hands on the sick that they would recover. We freak out. Oh my God, how dare you pray for this? Oh, I just don't believe that. Meanwhile, we'll go to a doctor and get 30 prescriptions. Right? And you know what that doctor's doing? He's trying stuff because he doesn't know. He just, he's just doling out dice. Chances are he's giving you a prescription that he makes money on because he's getting a kickback from the pharmaceutical company. So he's writing you a prescription. Here you go. Because he gets a bonus off that. And he'll write you 20 or 30 prescriptions just to see how it works. And then when you go in, he'll go, how are you responding to the medication? Because they don't know what they're doing. They're guessing. And I'm not saying that Jesus is against doctors, but I'm saying we as a people, we put so much faith in those doctors and we think that's science and genius, but we won't allow the prayers of the sick to happen or we won't allow any kind of experimentation when we do pray for the sick. What happened if we became practitioners of our faith? Because that's what the doctor's doing. In case you didn't know, he's practicing. It's called a practice, right? You know what that means? We don't know, but we're going to practice on you. They're actually learning from you. How'd you respond to that medicine? Okay, nausea, da, da, da. They fill out a report, they give it back to the doctor, gave it back to the pharmaceutical company. They're doing, a, they're doing an experiment on you while you're there and you don't even know it. I mean, how many times have you been in a hospital? Oliver, your grandfather was in the hospital, what, two weeks? Right? Oliver, your grandfather was in the hospital, like two weeks? And we go to the hospital and we start talking to the doctor and you, two weeks, the guy's in the hospital. They've run every test in the world they could possibly do. And they come in and they go, well, we just don't know what's wrong with them. You don't know? How can you not know? Because they don't know. So my point is, while that's good, Jesus doesn't have a problem with doctors. He has a problem being second. Why do we freak out because we pray for the sick? Why do we freak out because we're like, okay, put your hand here. Okay, lay your hand here. Okay, do this. Okay, let's, do this. let's confess. Let's pray. Okay, let's try this out. Let's try this out. How about you stand on your head? We lay hands on your feet. Let's try that one out. You know, I mean, really, I mean, why, 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 why are we so freaked? We should be like all in because he is the great physician, right? Come on. But the church, oh, well, I don't know about that. You know, we're just, come on. That's right. I'd be like, all right. So the doctor gave me five prescriptions this week. I'm going to put those prescriptions over here. Not that I'm not going to take them or anything like that. So I, that means that I just believe that Jesus is going to try five different methods on me today because I know you don't know what you're doing. But that's what we do. We figure it out. We increase and increase and increase and increase until the knowledge comes to us. We gain the knowledge of the Spirit. We gain that. It doesn't come automatically. Hmm? Oh, you guys got time? <laughs> what else we got, huh? Binge, binge watch movies on Netflix. You know, what else you got to do? You got nothing else to do. All right. Let's just love the Lord. Let's just hear from Him today. So I was hearing... Um, uh, what was I going to say? I completely lost my train of thought, but I'll come back to it. What was I going to say? It had something to do with healing, so it was really good. But anyway, oh, I lost it. Anyway, so if it comes back to me, is it coming back to me? Have I lost the thought? Grace, healing, virtue. We let the Lord, we begin to just experiment and we increase. Ah, this is what I was going to say. I felt like the Lord showed me this, right? Okay. Am I among friends here? Yes. Right? Okay. It's okay. You can throw Bibles at me. That's totally cool. But no rocks, all right? Um, 
I felt like the Lord was dealing with me because, um, like, we operate in different levels of ministry here, and we, we believe in prophetic gifts. We believe in healing. And, and so I noticed that prophetic gifts flow very easily, and you can virtually, when you begin to know and operate in the prophetic, you can give a prophetic word, like, immediately. I mean, you, you can literally prophesy on demand, you know? If anybody operates in the prophetic, you can realize that once you understand the dynamics of that, you can literally prophesy immediately. God always has something to say. And so I was praying and I was asking the Lord, I'm like, if we can do the prophetic word on demand, then why can't we heal on demand? You know, why can't we? If the prophetic's no different than healing, I felt like the Lord showed me prophet, priest, and king. And I felt like he was showing me this level that this is kind of the stuff I'm asking him for. You know, I'm not asking him for, you know, look, I, I thank God for healed knees and healed elbows, but I want organic healing. I want a pancreas to come to life that has not produced in years. You know, I want, I, I want to see the crazy, I want to see it happen. And we've seen it in some measures, but we don't see it as, 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 as I would like or like what, it would, what I would will. You know, so I'm asking the Lord this. And I felt like he told me, like, the prophetic release is the beginning we begin with a prophetic release, and then we move into a priestly ministry, which is more of a worshiping atmosphere, like growing and increasing. So the prophetic begins the flow. I felt like worship and ministry, priestly ministry, increases the dimension. And what I'm asking for is kingdom authority. And while we have kingdom authority, and I have Christians, oh, okay, pastor, we got kingdom authority. Bless God, we've had kingdom authority. Kingdom authority. I'm like, yeah, we got kingdom authority. Go exercise it. I'd like to see it. I know we have kingdom authority. I know we have it. But we can't manifest it. That's the issue. Or if we do manifest it, it's very limited in how we manifest it. That's not what my Bible teaches me. My Bible teaches me that the shadow fell on somebody and they were healed. My Bible teaches me that Paul couldn't get to a guy. He's like, here, take a rag. Get, get, hand him the rag. They'll get healed. When they, when they talk. I mean, really? That's what, that's, what it, that's what it tells me. You know, they're giving rags out of it. He's giving cloths from his chest because he can't lay hands on enough people. And you're saying that's an apostolic gift. It was only given to Paul. That is not what the Bible says. That's not what it says. You are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. We all are given the manifestation. It tells us in Mark and Matthew, it tells us that they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It doesn't say that the prophets or the apostles will lay hands on the sick and recover. It says all who believe, these signs shall follow those that believe. So if you're a believer, these signs are supposed to accompany you. Right? About enough. Um, it's, it's, it's fasting. It's prayer. It's not just fasting and prayer. It's a changing of a mindset, and it's an opening into the practice. And you have to do it by reasonable senses. You have to exercise the gift by reasonable senses. You're not going to increase in healing if you don't lay hands on the sick. You won't. You're not going to increase in healing if you don't pray for impossibilities. You won't. You're not going to increase in the prophetic if you don't learn how to prophesy. And we have schools that will teach you how to do that. You know? You're not going to increase in it if you don't use it. You have to use it. And if you don't use it, you're not going to get there. So we believe God and we pray and we just put it out there. You know, and I'm not saying I've arrived. I'm just saying this is what I'm believing God for. But it's a culture of grace. And if that is what, is that is what heaven is like, then that's what this can be. That's my point. Grace is power. It's charity. It's always used in the context of power. Next slide. Law and grace. Okay, here's a real brief understanding of law and grace. I'm going to crash the plane in the mountain. I hope not. But anyway... <laughs> Law and grace. What is law and grace? And if you, any of you guys ever heard this, right? We have an understanding in the Old Testament, it's law. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You guys with me? So what does that mean? In the New Testament, we're under grace. What does that mean? Well, it means this. In the Old Testament, the word law is the word Torah, and it means way. 
That's what it means. The word Torah in Hebrew means the way. So what it means is, is that God, the, to follow the Lord, it required a lifestyle. And so the people wanted to follow the Lord. God was calling a people unto himself, and he said it requires a lifestyle. This is what the lifestyle looks like. But what God was doing in calling them unto that lifestyle was showing them that in themselves they were not sufficient to meet the standard of the lifestyle. Understand that? It's the whole purpose of the law. The whole purpose of the law, we can sum it up real simple in Ten Commandments. The Bible tells us why the law was given. Psalms tells us the law was given to shut the mouth. People think they're good. People think they have an opinion. Oh, I'm a good person. Hold up the Ten Commandments and you'll soon see that you're not good. You'll soon see. Well, women, I haven't killed anybody. What Jesus said, if you doubt, it's not an issue of murder. If you've hated in your heart, you've committed murder. Women, I haven't committed adultery. He says, well, if you lusted in your heart after a man or woman, you've committed adultery. I mean, that's a pretty high standard. And so what is the law supposed to do? It's supposed to take away man's position of goodness to where we don't understand, we don't believe that we are good. You understand? Well, I'm a good person. Not in the eyes of heaven. There's none righteous, no, not one. And what it is, is it's a self-righteousness that we possess. We think we're right and we don't need the Lord. And so what, what the law is supposed to do is break the heart of man and bring him into a position where he now wants to receive the mercy of God. That's the point. It exposes man's ability to cause a plea for mercy. You guys see Peter? If you know your gospel, you know your story. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. And what did he say? Well, then who can be saved? Because the Pharisees kept 600, work, 600 laws, 600 rules. They had, all, they had it all figured out. And Jesus has said, that's not good enough. And unless you're better than that, you're not going to enter. And Peter goes, well, who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man it is impossible. With God is all things are possible. What was he telling him? He was saying, your ability to be saved and your ability to live this lifestyle will not come from you. Your ability to enter the kingdom does not come from you. It is not possible with man to get to the kingdom. It is only possible with God to enter the kingdom. So the law exposes man's ability and calls out for a plea for mercy. There's another story in the book of Luke. I'm going to move quick. It says that there was two people praying in the temple. Pharisee comes in, which is what a Pharisee was, was they were the religiously correct. They were the ones who had it all figured out. They had all the doctrines correct. They knew everything that was going on. And they actually isolated themselves from the culture because they thought they were so holy. They didn't want any sinners around them at all, ever. And so here's the guy praying in a temple. He's a Pharisee. He's crying out to God and he's telling the Lord how right I am. Oh, Lord, I just thank you that I'm righteous. I thank you that I'm better than everybody. I thank you that I'm not like a sinner. I'm not like an extortioner. I'm not even like this guy standing next to me. And the guy standing next to him beat his chest and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, one went away justified. The sinner went away justified. Why? Because the guy in himself thought that he was right because of his performance. And the other guy recognized that he could not keep the law. And if he could not keep the law and he could not measure up to the standard that God was calling him to, the only hope he had was in mercy. That's the whole point of the law. And so what we do in churches is we try to keep all these rules. We try to put it on people. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. We hold up the Ten Commandments and we say you've got to keep the Ten Commandments. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. You can't. So just give yourself a break. You can't if you try. You can't. So I can keep the Ten Commandments. Really, you can keep from coveting. You can keep from lusting. Not in, the, not in the flesh you can't. In the spirit, maybe. But there again, there's the power of grace. We get it? So the purpose of the law is to shut man's mouth, to stop his arrogant boastings. Like, oh, God, I, God's going to totally let me. I'm just a good person. I, you know, oh, that's, you know, I just believe if we're good people. 
Jesus said there's none right. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one. The law exposes our inability and points to his ability, his sufficiency. So we got that? Understand what was going on in the Old Testament? God called them into a lifestyle. That lifestyle was to point to their need in order that he, would, he could expose the, the, the salvation. Next slide. So we're under grace. So what does this mean? Okay, here's the deal, right? So we're under grace. So here again is kingdom culture. God's intended design from the beginning. He intended it in Genesis. He intended it in, with the children of Israel. And he's intending it with the church. His idea was to take a group of people that would walk in relationship with him and bring about what he wanted upon the earth. Here we see in Exodus chapter 19, God is speaking to the entire nation of Israel. Right? Nation of Israel comes out of Egypt, goes before the mountain, and the Lord speaks over the whole nation, and he says, You all, that's all of them, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and you shall be to me a holy nation. So God calls them to himself and puts an identity on them. That's the first thing he does. And then he immediately takes these people, ready, grab your chair, and he exposes them to power. It's the first thing he does. He calls them into a say, he said, this is what I want from you. I want you to be a child before me. I want you to be a holy nation. I want you to be a royal priesthood. This is who I want you to be. And now I'm going to show you what power looks like. Because you cannot do what it is I'm calling you to do. You cannot be who it is I'm calling you to be without the power. And so the first thing God does is he exposes them to power. And the people freak out. What happened? God comes down on the mountain. He just speaks identity to them. And the glory comes down on the mountain. Lightning, smoke, thunder, rumblings, and the voice of God speaks and the people freak out. And they back up and they go, no, Moses, we don't want the Lord to speak to us. Only you speak to us. And what they did is they vacated their positions as priests because they did not want the power. It's important to understand that. And when they vacated their positions of priests, what ended up happening is they chose rules over relationships. And then shortly thereafter, here comes Moses with the Ten Commandments and says, you don't want the voice? You don't want the presence? You don't want the power? You want rules? Well, here comes rules. That's what happened. We have the same thing going on in churches today. Same thing. Christian comes to Christ, and the very first thing that God wants to do is expose them to power. Read your Bible. It's what happened in the book of Acts. As soon as Jesus ascended, what's the first thing he did? Expose them to power. Tarry in Jerusalem until you what? Receive power. Come into, come into power. That's the first thing he exposes us to. And what we do in the church is we freak out at power. Well, I, mean, I didn't know there was going to be lightnings and rumblings. I didn't know people were going to be dancing. And, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't want any of that. And so we push away and we pull back from power. And what we end up with is a system of rules. Don't smoke, drink, or chew. Hang out with those that do. We create checklists. And we teach the people to live by rules and not by the presence. Is it making sense to anybody? Yeah? That's what we do. So God exposes us to power. We should not be freaked out by power. You shouldn't be freaked out by it, ever. We don't mean you understand it. We should be like, wow, we should be curious about it. Wow, that's pretty cool. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I wonder, wonder what that's like. So the people chose rules, and it was a priestly ministry. Here we see the same thing. We are called into the same thing. You are a chosen people. What's that say right there? A royal what? Priesthood. priesthood. What, is it, what does priestly ministry mean? Everybody say this with me. Priestly ministry, priestly ministry. is before the, Lord before the Lord and unto the people. That's what it means. And every single one of you are priests, which means what? It means that you are to minister unto the Lord through worship and adoration and surrender. And in that process, God fills you, empowers you, and you're to take what he fills you with and empowers you, and you're to make it known in the world around you. 
And that's going to be a corporate calling, and that's going to be an individual calling. There's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of dynamics there. I'm just trying to bring you into a concept and understand the concept. But we're called to be royal priests. We minister unto the Lord. But people, you can't minister in your world if you don't know how to minister unto the Lord. So if you're not, you don't get the ministry under the Lord right, it's not going to work in the ministry. out. There's going to be no outflow. If there's no inflow, there'll be no outflow. So that's what it looks like to worship. You guys understand that? Am I with you? Am I losing the crowd here? Am I, no? Okay, good. All right, good. So law, the law was what about, was earned graces about what is given. Next slide. Here's the deal, all right? So everybody say, here comes freedom. Here comes freedom. Here it comes right now. What Jesus calls you to do, you cannot do. It's impossible. Everything God calls you to do, you can't do it. You can't. You should be free. We put so much pressure on ourselves to perform when the fact is that what he has told us to do, we can't. Love your enemies. Anybody here? How's that working for you? Nah, I'm working very good, right? It, that's just one. We could go down the list. It's hard. People go, well, I can love all my enemies. It's because you've not been hurt deep enough. Let them hurt you deeply, and then you tell me if you can love your enemies. Right. You don't want to love your enemies. You're going to want to run them over by a truck because that's human nature. We want vengeance, yeah. right? Yes. But what we need is grace. So when God, what, what grace is, is the power of the Spirit. Grace is not just the impartation of salvation. It is the power to perform the very thing that God is calling you to do. Because you can't do it in and of yourself. When you know you got to forgive, you need to get in the spirit and then you can walk in forgiveness. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. That's not a poem. Which means we need to live in the spirit and out of the spirit all of this stuff flows. When you're in the spirit, you forgive everybody, right? Come on. Uncle Bill who, you know, burned your house down and stole your car, you're in the spirit, you're like, oh, everybody makes mistakes. It's no big deal. You're in the spirit, you're going to the grocery store, somebody cuts you off, going, oh, let them have the parking space. <laughs> and then your husband or your wife's next to you going, why are you letting them have that parking space? It's okay. <laughs> you're in the spirit. Grace enables you to do those types of things. It's the power to respond and perform. Every single thing, including being right with God, has to come from the impartation of grace. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. The message of Christ, the message of you're a sinner, you're lost, Jesus is the Savior, you can be saved, renewed, and forgiven. That message itself has upon it a power of grace. So that when the message is spoken, grace is imparted into the heart of the listener. And the heart is opened. That's why you can, you can have an, I had a drunk preach the gospel to me one time. Drunk is a skunk, man. Went to a party, you know, kegger. That's what we used to do. We used to do keggers. I don't know what everybody does anymore. There'd be a kegger at somebody's house, and I was in my, I was like late teens, early 20s. Yeah, pray for me. And so I was going down the stairs, and there's a pool table downstairs. It's like kind of like a, everybody's like out in the yard and everything, and they're shooting pool, and dude's drunk. He's like, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's walking around. I mean, he's just preaching everything. He walks up to me, and he goes, you know, don't you? You know. And he's giving the whole gospel, and I was like, I've got to go home now. I was like, <laughs> but the power was on the message that the guy was proclaiming. And something happened when the guy, and everybody else was throwing stuff at him. Shut up, shut up, you know. But I was like, I'm going home, guys. I think I'm going to call it a day. And I was just, that was just dead. And the reason is, is it's not the messenger. It's the message. The message carries the grace. And when the message is released, the grace comes into the heart for the person to believe. That's why people believe and they start having battles within the mind. 
because something's going on inside of them, but their head's going, well, I don't know about this, but their heart is going, wait, wait a second here. You get it? So that's the point. There's a, even the power of salvation is imparted with power. So by grace you're saved, by spiritual power you're saved. Things that we can respond to and things we cannot. There are areas in our life that we can respond. Say this with me. Discipline, Discipline. is the basic form of discipleship. Okay? Discipline is not to be the operational system. It is the default system. So what discipline is, read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. You have to discipline yourself. Those are the areas in your life that you can respond to. You don't need the spiritual power to read your Bible. You can discipline yourself into reading your Bible. You don't need spiritual power to pray. You can get in there and you can start praying. You don't need spiritual power to commit and connect to church. You can wake yourself up, give yourself a couple of high karates and kick yourself in the butt and get to church. That's discipline. You understand? So that's the basic form of discipleship of all believers. But that's not the operational level. The operational level is that we operate from the spirit. So we are to discipline ourselves into the things that we can respond to. And we are to draw from the power of the spirit into the things that we cannot. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Grace is bestowed. So we need to understand that. That's what grace is. I want you guys to understand what's available and what, part, what kingdom you're a part of. Grace is given to you, which means grace cannot be removed. It cannot. It is literally kingly bestowing. You say, wait a minute, Kevin. I've heard of falling from grace. Well, not from your Bible. There is no such thing. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. The Bible says grace is a gift. So if grace is a gift, it is the gift of God, and grace is bestowed upon me, then he will not take it away. They're without repentance. In other words, what I give, I don't take it back. I know there's a lot of different theological positions on all that, if you're into that, but you know, I'm coming from the context of the scripture. And what it does is it liberates the Christian. You need to know that you've received grace and God's not taking it away from you. It's yours. Now you can deny it, you can walk away from it, whatever it is you want to do with it, but you, know, you must activate it. Grace does not leave you. Story of the prodigal son, okay? Shared the story in first service. There's a classic example of, 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 of grace. When he left the father, he was a son to begin with. You understand that? So he had already had the position as a son. He leaves the father, takes what is his, and wastes it. Finds himself living with pigs, living in a place that most people wouldn't want to live, doing things that most people wouldn't want to do. Can I get a witness? Okay, that's where he finds himself. Really blowing up his life, right? As a son and a daughter, he blew his life up. And he finds himself in a place and he says, I'm going to return to my father's house and I'm going to humble myself as a servant. So he returns to his father's house and the father never acknowledges him as anything other than a son. He's not acknowledged as an out, hey, outcast, no. Oh, yeah, you want to be a slave? Yeah, we're going to make you a slave. You know, he, he never acknowledged, the father never acknowledged him as anything other than who he was when he was bestowed upon. And that's the same for you. Grace is on your life. You cannot, he, God doesn't take it from you. He doesn't take it from you. You can convince yourself that he does, but he doesn't. You can let somebody preach you into the concept that he does, but according to the scripture, he does not. So that should liberate the Christian. You should believe. People go, well, once saved, always saved, Kevin. What do you think? It's like sloppy agape? You think it's all that stuff? No, I think the Christian doesn't know who they are. And once you understand who you are, you'll begin to live towards who you are, right? And the Bible says if you, if you really, you know, what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? You want to know? So let's say, Kevin, I'm out and I'm partying, you know, and I go back and I start doing all the crazy things I used to do. Am I still saved? And my question is, is do you cry or do you roll in it? 
Because if you're born again, you're a sheep. And sheep, when they get in the mud, they cry. Pigs, when they get in the mud, they roll. So that should tell you whether or not you're a believer or not. You know, does your life grieve you at times and your behavior grieve you? Because people who are not in Christ, it doesn't grieve them at all. They're perfectly fine with it. You know, and we, we know, some of you know people in this world that are like that. They have no problem. They just roll around in it, man. And they think it's normal. But for you, it's not. That's the difference. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us to do the impossible. Grace is not a one-time encounter. It's the Greek word charismata. It's literally the, the moving of the Spirit. It's a power from heaven that is available to the Christian 24-7. The world is looking for renewable energy. You have it. Renewable energy from the Spirit, 100 times, 24-7. It's available to you anytime you want it. Anytime. You can get in the Spirit anytime you want. You can get in the Spirit in the shower. You can get in the Spirit in the car. You can get in the Spirit right now. You can get in the Spirit. Holy Spirit's available to you. You can enter His presence in His place at any place at any time. Okay, last slide. So how do we express grace? So we need to understand what grace is. We have to understand why we need it. Grace is the power. Grace is the movement of the Spirit. We need grace because what we are called to be and do, we cannot apart from power and apart from grace. How do we express grace? Number one, it begins with a mindset. You have to see it and understand it and believe it from that standpoint. As you believe, so it will happen. That's the point. So you've got to begin with a mindset. A lot of Christians don't believe in power. They don't believe in the mindset of grace. And what the Bible tells us is that we have to have a mindset. How do we create a mindset? We renew our mind by the washing of the water of the word. We renew our mind to transform the way that we think. We transform the way that we think through scripture. And so what does that mean? You read your Bible. You memorize the verses. You begin to confess the verses, declare the verses, and pray them. Like, what does grace mean? God is for me. Who can be against me? What can man do to me? You need to not only read that, you need to read it, you need to memorize it, you need to begin to confess it. I just confess to myself that God is for me. Who can be against me? You need to declare it. God is for me. Who can be against me? This circumstance is nothing. You need to begin to pray it. Father, I thank you that you are for me and not against me. I thank you that you're working all things out to my good, regardless of what I see or think or feel. That's how you transform your mind is by reading it, memorizing it, confessing it, praying it, declaring it. That's how you're changed, right? And then we have not only that, it's, it's believing and understanding God is good. There's always hope. The grace is, in the, grace is the power to perform what Jesus has said. So we have to express, we have to know what grace is. We have to understand that that's what heaven is like. And we have to walk through it, right? So we begin with a mindset. The second thing, and this is the last slide, is how, grace, how, we, how we express grace. We express grace by believing it, receiving it, understanding it, getting it down into our mind, and that we think in no other terms other than the way that heaven thinks. And then we activate it through his presence. What does that mean? Grace, what you sense when you're in the room and you're worshiping God and the spirit begins, you begin to feel peace and warmth and clarity and you know, things are lifting off you. What that is, is it's grace. Grace would be another word for power. Power would be another word for the Spirit. Spirit would be another word. We could use the word anointing. There's a lot of different verses or ways that we can describe it. But what happens is, is that we need to experience grace or to activate grace. We have to learn how to host the presence. A lot of believers don't know how to host the presence. What does that mean? Holy Spirit, come. You've got every minute of every hour of your day so scheduled and so tight, you don't have a margin. If God wanted to visit with you or God wanted to sit you down for a minute, you wouldn't have time. Jesus couldn't book appointment with you for the next six months. You have to learn to host the presence. 
Holy Spirit, come. Let his presence come. Let his presence move over you. Let his presence move. We outhost his presence. We get in the Spirit, and then we activate from the Spirit. You need wisdom. You need direction. Holy Spirit, you get in the Spirit and let God give you the wisdom from the Spirit. Anything that God gives you or tells you in his presence is a check that's cashable. You understand? We make sense? So it's the mind of Christ. In the Spirit is the mind of Christ. God is not going to tell you something contrary to his word in the Spirit. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you direction. He's going to give you that. So we activate his presence. It's through hunger and we're asking for more. What you have to be is you have to be somebody who's hungry for the presence of the Lord. You have to want the presence of the Lord. David said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. You have to want him. You have to desire it. You have to take away the appetite of other things and force yourself to be hungry for the things of God. Nobody likes eating salad out of the gate. Okay? When I got married, I didn't know what the salad actually was. Right? I had to learn how to eat salad. I had to learn to like salad. Right? We have to change our appetite for the things you say. Well, you need to learn to like salad a little more, Kevin. You're getting a little pudgy there. But nonetheless, and I will, you know, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you, Victor, for laughing at that dull joke. So anyway, the, <laughs> the, we have to learn that we have to force ourselves into the appetites of the things that God. We have to want to worship. We have a worship night here. There is no excuse for you not to be here. None. Well, I had to work. Okay, well, that's a good one. But if you didn't have a margin and all you did was do nothing, you should have been here. Why? Because it is the atmosphere and the presence of the Lord that changes you. Appetites for the things of heaven expands the spirit. You come to a worship night, you begin to worship God, and the capacity for you to go deeper starts increasing. You start learning to free dive. You start learning to get into it. And you have to force yourself into wanting it. Because some of you, your nature is not complete. Your, your flesh doesn't want to go there. You've got to force yourself to do it. Make yourself be here. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He didn't say, I felt like it. He said, I made myself. Awake my soul. I will worship the Lord. I will praise the Lord. Those are all things that come from the Psalms. And what David is saying is an intentionality. I will praise God. I will go to the house of the Lord. I will honor the king. Awake my soul. Jesus is here. Wake up. Stop sleeping. Get up. Christ is in the room. Something's happening. We have to want it. So grace, increase of grace, increase of power comes through that. It's expressed through joy. So, okay, we activate grace. What are we supposed to do with it? The expression of grace is found in joy. Can we have some joy? Can we smile? Can we laugh? Can we be glad to see each other? Can we be generous? The Bible likens it to people that are drunk. That's what it means, drunk. I'm not going, woo, you know, like dragging on the wall or whatever. But you know you ever have that, uh, that special in-law, and I've had a few of them, and my wife's going to kill me because I'm making all these drinking comments, but I don't know. It just is. So I used to have in-laws that would come over. My grandfather was actually one of them, too. And it would be the holidays, and they'd have a three or four beers. And once they had three or four beers in them, the wallet would come out, man. And they'd start handing out money. And so all the kids do that. You know, they knew Uncle Ozzy and my uncle, my, my grandfather. You know, they knew that they got real generous after they had a few beers in them. And so we'd all be hanging out at the table. Hey, you kids. Merry Christmas. You know, where they would maybe give us a five if they didn't have a few. Now they're handing out a 20, right? So the point, my point off of that is, in the spirit, you're going to feel amazingly generous. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In the spirit, you're going to want to love and to give and to serve in ways that you wouldn't ordinarily do. And the Bible says, do it. Against such, there is no law. 
That's what it's telling us to do because we're operating in the transformative power that comes from heaven. That's how it works. You get into the office, man, everybody's in a bad mood. You're in the spirit, man. They're all like, you know, when I came to Jesus, I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything. I just said, okay, these are the five things that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to just do them. And I'd show up to work and I'd be in the spirit. They'd be like, why are you so happy all the time? Well, I'm, I'm like, I'm not really feeling like I'm happy. I'm just, you know, I was just connecting with the Lord. And so, but that, it's an, there's an attraction on that. Power is not expressed through joy, finds it in illegalism. Okay, last, last, last comment. Last thing. Again, an Old Testament example. God tells his people in Isaiah chapter 58, what's going on in Isaiah chapter 58 is the people are crying out for change. Anybody feel like crying out for change? Right? They're crying out for change. They're like, Lord, why have we fasted and you've not paid attention? Why have we done these things and you've not responded? And the Lord said, is this the fast that I've chosen? And so while he mentions fasting, that chapter is not about fasting. The, the context of the chapter was they wanted to draw near and they wanted God to do something in their world or change it. And God says, if you want change, stop focusing on what's important to you and start focusing on what is important to me and change is going to happen. And you can read the chapter. It says, your, it says, from your darkness, your light will spring forth as noonday. One of the things it says is that when we operate in this, your darkest moments can become the most shining things that ever happened in your life. And maybe I'll, do a t I'll break it down for you another time. But what he says in Isaiah 58 is next to impossible if you read it. You know, it's really hard. If you look at it and you really look at what he's telling you to do from a human standpoint, you're like, yeah, I think we can do some of that, but I don't think we can really do all of that. That's crazy. And so Isaiah 61 tells us where the power comes from. So here we have the same example in the Old Testament that God is giving in the New. He's calling them unto something and he's showing them where the power comes from. And in Isaiah 61, it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do these amazing works. And so as a Christian, what we have to understand is what, when, when things move into when we change our focus from what we want into what he wants, then we start understanding what he wants and we realize we don't have the power to do what it is he wants. We start drawing on his power. Things are going to change. Things are going to change. Did you guys get anything out of this? Yes. Yes? Yes. yes thank you. All right. Say this with me. The culture of heaven, culture of heaven. is a culture of grace. Culture of grace. grace is forgiveness. Grace is, grace is mercy. So when we give grace to other people, you don't really have the power to give them grace unless you're in the Spirit. But if you're in the Spirit, you've got the power to give them grace. You need to give yourself grace. You need to take it easy on yourself. Some of us, we beat ourselves up so bad. You know, God's not beating you up. He's not beating you up. He's not picking on you. Stop picking on Then you stop picking on you. The Bible says if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows all things. He's gracious to you. He's loving to you. He knows you're going to get it right. You're messing up. You do, you do stupid things. The point is, is when you acknowledge that you can't do it, that's a huge place. When, he, when, you, when you come to the place and you realize, man, everything Jesus is telling me to do, I, I just can't. You know, that was, a major step, that was a major shift in my faith when I realized that. Because nobody ever taught me that. I was taught in churches that I had to do more. I had to do, 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 do. And I, what I found is, is that I did not have the sufficiency of strength to do those things. And so I would give up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just give up because you don't have the sufficiency. I'll give you another example. You don't have the sufficiency to raise your kids. <laughs> you don't have the sufficiency to make your marriage work. You, there's a lot of things we don't have the sufficiency for, but God calls us to do it. But the only way we become sufficient in those things is by drawing from him. 
I'll give you another one. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Try that one on. Any dudes in the room? Any married guys in the room? How's that working for you? Love your wife like Christ loved the church. I didn't say when she was on her good day, right? When everything's glowing and everything's happening. Love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Love her in a capacity when she's unlovable. Honor your husband, ladies. Honor him in a way when he is not honorable. See him for who God sees him to be, not who you see him to be. See him for who God sees him to be, not who he even sees himself to be. Treat him as heaven sees him, as heaven sees him not how you or anybody else sees him. You can't do that in yourself, but in the spirit you can. You see that? You understand that? We, everything that we do has to come from that, that world and from that context. And I feel like if there's a message that God is trying to pour out of me, because he keeps saying to myself, haven't I said this like 20 times? Richard Nixon said, when I've said it and my when I get tired of saying it, he says, I know that my staff is just beginning to get it. He would say, I would say things over 100, 120 times. And he said, and I would be exhausted from saying the same thing. And he said, right about that time, the people that worked for me were starting to get it. So those of you that leave teams in business world, <laughs> and you're like, I get tired of saying it all the time. You know, about the time you're getting tired of saying it is right about the time that people are, dry, are just starting to get it. You know? So it's good that we hear the same things over and over again, and we let these things reinforce themselves into our spirits so that we can become stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And there can be an embedded mindset and an embedded system of belief. So, all right. I had a lot to say. It was a worship night last night, so I'm still running on octane from last night. So, woo! That was awesome. I'll tell you a quick story. You guys want to hear a funny story? Yeah. This is funny. Shelly's like, no, not another story. I got to tell this story. I got to tell this story. It's about Shelly. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so we were praying for people. We got everybody praying. You know, we got the people out. And, you know, we're praying, laying hands on the sick and all this other stuff. And so I got the Christian to lay hands on each other, you know, right? I was talking to him about, like, you know, exousia. You know, we release the power. You know, it's how, we, it's how ministry of healing happens. We release power. And so I was sharing all that. And there's a guy back here. And he, he goes and prays. And he prays over Heinrich, actually. And your, your ankle, right? Heinrich, completely, gone, completely healed. Right? This guy comes up to me at the end. And he goes, man, I've never prayed over the sick before. He's like, I never prayed over sick before. I go, yeah. And he goes, and you were using that word that, I go, exousia? I said, yeah. And he goes, you were saying exousia, and you were saying, just release the power. It, I was using it like exert. If you can't, you know, release, exert the power. And he's like, and when I was praying, I felt like laser beams were coming out of my fingertips. <laughs> that was classic. That was awesome. So anyway, there's my little humorous rambling. Let me pray for you. Let me bless you. Jesus loves you so much. He really, really does. Lord, I just thank you so much that you love your people. I thank you so much for the privilege it is to share your word, God, with your people. It's such an honor, God, and I just want to acknowledge that. I want to thank you for what you're doing, God, and what you're imparting. I just know and believe that what you're releasing here, God, is, is, is a formative message. It's something that you're forming, something that you're creating. And what you're releasing in this church, God, is not common. And it's not ordinary. And I believe the people that you call to this place are not common and are not ordinary. I believe you've called an assembly of extraordinary believers to understand extraordinary things in order that they might accomplish extraordinary deeds and works. So, Lord, we honor you for that. We welcome that in our lives and in our, in, in our, our hearts. 
And Lord, we want more. We want increase. We want wisdom. We want understanding. We want more of you more than anything else. More of your love, more of your spirit. And God, we just, we don't, we just don't want poetry, God. We want reality. So we just thank you for that. Lord, I just bless these people in your name. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever be in his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Amen. Thanks for hanging out. Bless.